Welcome to episode seven of the VD Clinic podcast. I'm Vanessa, one of your hosts of Filth and Trash is what we're going to have today. And with me is yet another filth monster, David. Hello. Lucy <laughs> Willow. Yes, we're, since we're going with filth because of uh, John Waters specifically, yes. I thought I'd uh, invite... A, another proponent of the Pope of Trash, John Waters, Court from Cinema Psyops. I'm also Team Garbage People, so you know I'm the right person <laughs> to talk about the glory and beauty and wondrous nature of John Waters. That's yes. true. Well, exactly. I mean, as soon as I thought of doing this, you were the first person I thought of. And I proposed it to you before I even mentioned it, mentioned it to David. So. <laughs> And I think I did like three or four backflips like a cartoon character screaming woohoo, woohoo, woohoo. <laughs> and then typed in, of course I'm in. Yeah. So we're going to be covering for our movie Serial Mom and the John Waters book Carsick. So, um, which was one I hadn't caught up with before and was, I'm excited about. So, um, David, do you have anything to, to start with? Um, How are you doing? I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm otherwise good. Um, I'm trying to think if I've seen or uh, so I haven't really been reading anything other than the than the book for the show. Um, hmm. I know I've watched some stuff recently that was actually pretty good, but I just don't remember what the hell it was. Fuck. <laughs> Thrilling radio. Ah, uh, no, right. <laughs> that's <Yep>. quite all right <laughs> it's yeah it's mostly been a lot of work and then like periodically trying to watch stuff and then reading for the reading for the show and then also prep work for any number of other fucking dozen projects i'm working on at any given time yeah yeah how are you court i'm doing excellent um as far as what i've been watching uh just finished up stranger things season two with the wife and I loved it. And everybody who complains about it, um, just don't talk to me any again, ever again. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand what your problem is with the show or what it is that you were expecting. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, I, I need to rewatch season one before I tackle season two. They have enough of the previously on stuff where they flash back well, to where they, they cover it pretty well. But yeah, it's yeah. probably best just to go and binge the first season and then go back in. Uh, also, been watching. And I'm gonna. This is this is a uh, VD Clinic exclusive where I'm gonna be breaking this news and actually admitting to something. I've been watching <laughs> the hell out of the Good Place with my wife, and I've really become a huge fan of that. <laughs> uh, what is that? <laughs> the Good Place is it's, it's a, a sitcom. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. I know, I know. It's it seems like it'd be something that I'm not into, and I can't tell you why I'm into it without spoiling the show too awful much, but. <laughs> Okay, here's the main gist of it. Kristen Bell, who I fucking hate, uh, plays a character who I fucking hate, who belongs in hell, or what our concept of hell would be like. It's called the bad place. But somehow she ends up in 
the good place by some kind of weird uh, afterlife clerical error. And she's been trying to hide out, but also earn her way to be in the good place at the same time. So when she gets caught, she can have this argument that she's been trying to be good since she's been here. And can she stay? And it becomes this giant, like, let's just hide these lessons on morality and how to be better people in a TV show that's a situation comedy and all of these philosophical debates and all of this interesting stuff. And then whenever you really find out what's kind of what's going on, it becomes even more interesting about what's what's happening with the afterlife and all of that. And it's just really funny and witty. And like I said, it's quietly shoving philosophical debates and morality into people's brains just like it's sideloading it like they hack their mind <laughs> while it's doing it and i think it's just great it's really well written and I'll, I'll admit it here on the vd clinic i love that fucking show i can't get enough of it okay right. uh, i i know it's critically acclaimed but i had not actually heard or anybody you know talk about it <laughs> you know their personal experience yeah okay yeah, you gotta. You just kind of have to like. I and I know like it took me probably five or six episodes, and I was hating the show. And my wife finally just like spoiled it for me, and I'm like, I kind of figured that's where it was going. And then right. I was just like, I, I, once I knew for sure that I was right about it, then I started watching it, and I was enjoying it. But it's one of those shows where you have to go back and watch it again once you go through the first season to kind of catch all the stuff that you missed. It's it's right. actually really clever. So, and it's. It's not often that I would say anything like that about a show that features Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. <laughs> <laughs> and I hate them for doing this to me, but they did it, and I really enjoy it. <laughs> now, my my one question, is there a laugh track? No, it doesn't do that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, laugh <laughs> track. I'm able to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Situation comedies with laugh tracks are few and far between. Now, a lot of the shows have kind of gotten away from that. I think the last one that still did that was that two girls in a the pizza shop or whatever the fuck that was called. Two broke uh, girls. Yeah, two broke girls. That terrible fucking show that needed a <laughs> laugh track because that's the only way that anybody would ever laugh through it. Right, which is like Will and Grace, which they just brought back. <laughs> I yeah. never was a fan of that show. I never. Yeah. Neither, I, I told I've told David before. I said I think my gay card might have to be revoked for that because I I loathe that show, <laughs> and the laugh track is part of it. Yeah, there's some British TV too that uh, I absolutely love, but like the comedies when they have the laugh tracks on it, like Man to Man with Dean Lerner and some of that kind of stuff when they throw the laugh tracks in, I'm like, God damn it, just no, stop. <laughs> Let me laugh on my own. Don't tell me something's funny by inserting the sound of other people laughing. Right, right. I've also been watching a whole shitload of Paul Nashy movies thanks to Shout Factory slash Scream Factory releasing two box sets of his work, which has gotten me infinitely just so hyped up and, and ecstatic that it exists. Uh, considering that I bought a lot of these on bootleg ages ago, and had no idea what was going on because they were like 7th generation dub VHSs put onto a DVD-R. <laughs> now I can finally see some things. And uh, it's it's just been amazing. So I'm super excited about having those around too. But there's so many movies and I have so little time because podcasting is a black hole for free time. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. true. <laughs> and I don't even do it every week like you do. <laughs> yeah um i'm putting in anywhere from six to eight hours every week just on my show oh yeah <laughs> i remember those days 
<laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I love doing it, and it's one of those compulsory things where I'm like, now I I can't not do it, and then also I can't not try and put out a good product. Like I always want to make sure every week it has to be the best show I can possibly do that week with what material I end up getting. <laughs> so I just can't. I, I've never just said I'll oh, fuck it and thrown it together and thrown it out there. Like I still haven't done that yet. Even though it may sound like that with some of them. <laughs> no, you're the you're the crazy AV audio like editing guy. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're I'm a, I'm obsessive. I really am. Uh, just very a little, obsessive. Just a <laughs> I'm the guy where I'm like, I'm interested in this. Let's read 50 how-to manuals on how it's done before I even attempt to get the equipment. That's totally me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't... I, that's one skill I don't have. But give me a manual, read it. I might, might be able to figure it out. <laughs> that's, how, that's how my mom says, you know, got me cooking and everything is, you're smart, you can read, you can figure it out <laughs> that's, right so that's, that's how i've taught myself myself a lot of different things <laughs> including plumbing but <laughs> once uh youtube videos started popping up for how to cool. stuff i became then, the ultimate that. handyman yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, was... in, it, no in my house it was you know because it was the 70s and 80s it was the reader's digest you know guides of house uh house repair my dad had stacks and stacks of those types of books. That, that he, I think that's. I think it's a genetic thing. I think I inherited it from him. Where he hates not knowing how to do something when it needs to be done. <laughs> like, like he feels that it's a slight on him as a human being that he doesn't know how to like regrout a bathtub. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, this is something I should just know. I should just. I should have been born with this knowledge. It should be part of our our historical genetic information that gets passed on from you know child to, from parent to child and he just he gets upset when he doesn't know something and i think i've inherited that i know i've inherited that from him <laughs> uh don't want to admit that we're like our parents sometimes <laughs> <laughs> i'll freely admit it actually i mean for all the trouble that i've had uh with my parents over the years you know because every kid has growing pains with their parents particularly in their teenage years uh I could have had worse people to end up like, and the traits that I see that I picked up from my parents are the ones that I like, so I kind of lucked out in that way. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> hey, I'm not saying it's for everybody. I'm just saying this is my particular <laughs> situation, because a lot of people's parents are fucked up and twisted, and I am super lucky that mine are great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, ended up pretty good, I guess. But I can definitely see some things about, <laughs> you know, fucked up things with my fair, my parents that, yeah, I have. But I guess fucked up is also relative because that's how I got my love of Edgar Allan Poe and horror and everything. I mean, like, <laughs> my love of true crime, I totally got that from my dad. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway... <laughs> Speaking of fucked up families, <laughs> serial mom. <laughs> I was waiting for the segue. I'm like, she's got it. It's there. It's so many opportunities. <laughs> Did we want to take a break before we uh, jump in? Yeah, let's go ahead and take okay. a real quick break, and then we'll be we'll jump into uh, serial mom. 
Broadcasting from the Cursed Earth, the Psycho-Semanticast. Let us face without panic the reality of our time. The fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities. And let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off the uh, you know, Twitters at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. Neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate greaseballs. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? But that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew them. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho Semanticast. Life doesn't have to be ugly. Look at the birds out there. Listen to their call. Wee. Wee. This is the story of Beverly Sutphin. Scramble eggs, anybody? A devoted mother. I'm so happy I could chip. You know how I hate the brown word. A loving wife. You think the kids are awake? We could be very quiet. I'm ready. Honey, you're hot tonight. And a suspected murderer. Oh, kids, are you doing your homework? How did America's number one mom turn into one of America's most wanted? Is she really guilty? Are you a serial killer? Chip, the only serial I know anything about is Rice Krispies. Is she the only one with a motive? Believe that damn litter bugger. Give her a happy face. Or is there someone else? I'm stood up. I'll kill that jerk. With an axe to grind. Oh. Now I'll never get a boyfriend. Meanwhile, this small Baltimore suburb Please. keeps getting smaller ah. and smaller. It's been a crazy day, hasn't it? Savoy Pictures asks the burning question Is your wife mental? Is Beverly Sutphin just a sweet suburban housewife? I don't know what it is about today, but I feel great. Cookie? Or is she... Serial Mom? Cool. Is she in a band? Kathleen Turner, Sam Waterston, and Ricky Lake. Serial Mom. Every woman wants to be wanted. Just not for murder one. Beverly, I've read all about this. Is it menopause? Fire to the ball. Fire to the ball. Serial Mom. This was released in 1994. Uh, Sweet Mother takes a little too much to heart for the, defen- to, for the defense of her family. Uh, this was written and directed by John Waters, and stars Kathleen Turner as Mom, Sam Watterson as Dad, Ricky Lake as Misty, Matthew Lillard as Chip, Scott Morgan as, just, as Detective Pike, uh, Walt, Walt McPherson as Detective Gracie, uh, Justin Whalen as Scotty, Patricia Dun- Dunnick as Birdie, Lonnie Horsey as Carl, Mink Stoll as Dottie Hinkle, 
Mary Jo Catler as Rosemary Ack- Ackerman. Uh, John Badilla as Mr. Stubbins. Kathy Fannin as Betty Sterner. Doug Roberts as Ralph Sterner. And Tracy Lords as Carl's Date. And I'm... Patty Hearst as oh. Juror Number Eight. Sorry. <laughs> In the white shoes, no less. After Labor Day. Uh, uh huh. And yes. go. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I love this movie so much. Um, I actually got the uh, Scream Factory, Shop Factory, whatever edition of this, and this was my first time watching that one, so I, I got all the fun extras. Oh, nice. I was so excited. I was so excited. I was like a little kid. <laughs> I pre-ordered that one as well, so I got the poster because I pre-ordered it directly from them. Me too. <laughs> I, I'm actually going to be meeting John Waters. I bought tickets for a meet and greet and a Christmas show that he's having here in Omaha, and I'm going to have him sign as much stuff as I possibly can, and one of the things I'm hoping I can get him to sign is that poster. Nice. This is, this is my favorite John Waters movie, and it's coincidentally the first one of his I ever watched. Yeah. I, you'd heard of him, though, before this, yes? Well, at the time that Serial Mom came out, because it's technically a <laughs> uh, 1992 film, I think it was on HBO like pretty much right away when I was a little kid. So at the time that it came out, I had not known anything about John Waters before I had seen this uh, film. Okay. And it wasn't until probably about five or six years later, whenever... Mm-hmm. I think it was like USA or somebody started having a marathon of John Waters movies and Serial Mom was one of them. So I was watching it because I will love Serial Mom. And then up next, it was Cry Baby or some other movie like that. They weren't playing them in any particular order. And so I just went and binged them all. And I'm like, I don't know who made all this. And then it was like, you know, oh, John Waters marathon. So, you know, not having the Internet to help me find out who it is and look up the the actual director and stuff I, I kind of found it from that marathon but it's all all of my love yeah. stems from serial <laughs> mom it starts there <laughs> yeah i uh hairspray was actually the first one that i i knew of him before that i had heard about pink flamingos and everything but i'd never seen his stuff but i saw a hairspray and then i'm like oh it's that guy and then i went back and actually was able to track them down in my Alabama video store. Shockingly enough, <laughs> they had some of that. But I mean, and my mom actually was a fan. She hasn't gone and like watched as many of like, like his stuff as me, but yeah, she's watched that and she loves this one too, which kind of just cracks me up even more. <laughs> the fact that I can sit with my mom and watch this. <laughs> I think hairspray is kind of the demarcation point from where it gets you go too far back and John Waters films get a little too hinky and crazy for some people. And if you go, if you go too far forward, they end up starting to get a little too nostalgic and, and touchy feely for a lot of people as well. So it's kind of like, there's a, there's a sweet spot of like perfect movies for everybody between hairspray and serial mom, where like just about everybody's going to love them. Yeah. (laughs) If they have a pretty decent sense of humor and can enjoy satire and irony. Yeah. David, yes. when when did you first see this, or what was the first John Waters movie you saw? Uh, this was actually the first time I've seen this, and this was also my first real John Waters film that I've seen. I've seen I've seen him speak before, and like I've seen whatever that special is on uh, Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I've seen him in like documentaries and stuff, but I'd actually never gone out and watched anything because I think I'd seen pink fl- flamingos at the video store and it was always just kind of like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> like I just, I just knew of it. It was like, of course. I was just like, I know it's a thing. And I'm like, I don't know if, if my brain can handle that movie. Um, Maybe not jumping off point. Yeah. Understandable. So, um, <laughs> and like there were other ones that had popped up along the way that I wanted to see. Um, like Cecil be demented looked like fantastic. I was like, I really want to see that. I just never got around to it. So when you suggested this one, I was like, all right, I'd seen the cover a million times and never really knew what it was. And then bought a copy on whatever streaming site I bought it from and watched it. And I was like, holy shit, this is fucking hysterical. Yeah. It's so uh... good. (laughs) I know. Well, I've always enjoyed Kathleen Turner anyway. And Sam Waterston. I mean, Law and Order had, I guess, already started at this point. But I even knew, like, some of his theater stuff. Um. But and they're so and and but it seems like so against type for the two of them, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> which Sam Waterston had never seen a John Waters movie before he came to set. Kathleen huh. Turner, I think, had seen Cry Baby, but that was it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's just. Oh, and one thing with this uh, this entire thing, this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Is filmed in a friend of mine's neighborhood in Baltimore, oh. which John Waters actually used to live in. He still lives kind of nearby, mm-hmm. but it's like I've gone. It's funny I've gone down there, and it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> like the little cars chase scene that they have in the neighborhood. I'm like, oh yeah, that <laughs> there's Melissa's house that goes by right by, which is kind of funny. But I love that he and the and the high school that they used was the one that Divine went to. You know, I love that they that he always uses places like that that had some sort of significance in his own life, and mm-hmm. he's you know he still utilizes that, that community. Um, and it, I mean, it's so perfect for a movie like this because it is about that you know that normal quote unquote normal facade, and you know to middle America at least normal. facade and what really lies beneath it and that's just not the fact that he's a serial killer because all serial killers hide in plain sight like that right exactly it's it's everybody around them who's just as weird and twisted and has some strange things going on that they're hiding (laughs) yeah (laughs) on on top of the fact that kathleen turner's killing people and i gotta say this is the most tolerable matthew lilliard performance in any film ever i actually really like him in this movie and it was from this point forward when he popped up in scream and played the character that he would become a pattern of forever yeah <laughs> you know that uh, annoying just over the top irritating person that you just that has a punchable face like you would not believe uh right. see, in this film he's the character i the most I, I identify with the most because that was me i never worked at a video store but i was always in there running horror movies and I, and actually, the guidance counselor, when he was, or not guidance counselor, but as a math teacher during the parent teacher conference, I've had a guidance counselor actually have almost that exact conversation verbatim with my mother while I'm sitting there. 
<laughs> talking about me like I don't exist. <laughs> you know, he's sick, he's twisted, he loves all these horrible things, you know, and it's like, dude, I'm I'm okay. I haven't hurt anybody. <laughs> right. So, and and it was about the time that I saw this movie that that kind of stuff was starting to happen because, you know, I was always drawing pictures of Jason and Freddy and Chucky and, you know, watching horror movies and all of that stuff and and finding these even more rare and obscure things. So like when I saw this movie and, and it was just like Chip was me as far as I was concerned and having having Chip's mom killing people because <laughs> they're talking bad about Chip. I'm like, why can't my mom be Beverly Suffin? <laughs> I'm so happy I could shit. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite lines. I'm so happy I could shit. I love that she refers to it as the brown word. (laughs) (laughs) And how adorable is Ricky Lake in this movie? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This was right before she started her TV show. Yeah, I was like, I I forgot that she was ever an actress. Well, yeah, and, and actually, my friend Adam, who was on, what was that, episode four... Yeah. He worked on the Ricky Lake show when it was just starting. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he's like, she's one of like, the nicest people he had ever worked with. Because she was just down to earth. Mm-hmm. You know, which I could see that. See that. I mean, it comes through from just anyone on a John Waters set. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, you could say maybe she learned it on, learned it on this, you know, this foundation on the set there or just she's that person or both but right yeah well you can't work with john waters and be an asshole because he believes in the death penalty for assholeism i mean he's preached that ever since all the way back to pink flamingos (laughs) right right well and the death penalty discussion throughout this movie is so interesting to me and because i've actually been like some of my lefty politics and stuff that I've done and like activism has been very much or you know against the death penalty um so I even but I always found the discussion about it in John Waters movies fascinating even before I went through my period break I did I was very active in um with the campaign and the death penalty and and then but to see <laughs> see this movie again after going through some of that different actual activism and going to the courtroom and different things like that. It's it's really interesting just John Waters' view of, you know, criminal justice system. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously he puts Patty Hearst in his movies and he went to her trial. And like, you know, he's very big into, you know, huge true crime fan. Um, which actually, one of the things that, there's a one scene in the movie this jumping way ahead. I know we've kind of <laughs> <laughs> not that we really do things here in such a strict linear order, right. but um, no, the fact that one of the guys that was, uh, I guess one a cinematographer or something, he was into true crime too. And it was like actually a Christmas card that he got from John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> uses wow. a that's used as a prop in the film when Sam Watterson's going through the scrapbook of a serial oh, killer. Oh, right. But, um... 
see, I'm into true crime and I read about true crime, but I never wanted to contact any of the serial killers. And I certainly wouldn't want to get a freaking gift card from them or, or a Christmas card from them in any way, shape or form. I mean, I've been because of my activism, I've been like pen pals with inmates before, but not serial killers, <laughs> you know. There are ones also that were very specifically, you know, looking to, you know, they were looking to, you know, create some sort of activism behind bars. So it was, you know, uh, it was a much more, it wasn't like a Lonely Hearts type thing, which some of us <laughs> think those things exist, you know, which, <laughs> hence like that Joan Rivers thing, Serial Hags. <laughs> I was make that reference too. Yeah, that's a great line, Serial Hags. I think that was an actual show, like an actual episode of Joan Rivers show. I don't doubt it. I really don't. Because I remember all of those that time period would have that kind of craziness. The Geraldo and Sally Jesse Raphael <laughs> current affair whatever. These women that were the Lonely Hearts Club you know and were attracted to serial killers. <laughs> I don't know. No, that was that was totally a thing. Um, the late 80s, early 90s, I remember growing up and having that being all over the TV, that kind of stuff all the time where mm -hmm. serial killers were treated more like celebrities. And they I mean, this movie isn't really parodying a whole lot of stuff. All it's doing is holding up a mirror and then amplifying it to make it a satire. I mean, this was kind of how I remember it being, at least through my kids eyes at the time, you know, growing up that way. Like, for the longest time, I thought that Natural Born Killers was just a documentary <laughs> when it's I first saw it as a kid. truth, in a way. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, this, and this movie here speaks volumes on the cult of celebrity that these, you know, serial killers or, you know, whatever have mm -hmm. sometimes. And how the media runs around like <laughs> maniacs. You know, I mean, the whole, the whole way that it's covered and even when they have, you know, that one scene where they're getting ready to go to church and they're being followed by all the cops, you hear the radio report, well, just the radio the report, the way that it's, you know, announced to everyone else who's riding around hearing it in their other cars. It's kind of like, you know, it, it's just you're automatically, be, you know, it starts from that moment of, you know, the fact that they have to say, and it's a shocker, dun, 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 you know, the, it's a woman, <laughs> you know, like, it's just instead of saying, it's just this suspect and leaving it very matter of factly, it has to be, it's a shocker, you know. <laughs> well, this is but, also kind of the start of the really serious 24 hour news cycle where they constantly had to keep your attention. And I but, think that. I think that led to the rise of this kind of sensationalism that this film is talking about. Yeah. Sorry, I'm trying to cut down my dissertation that was at one point in time four hours about Serial Mom <laughs> to well, just distill it to the talking points as best I can because I, I could go on forever. You will physically have to restrain me from talking at some well, point. Well, no, I, I know there's a lot that could be said about this. I knew that I know that you really. Uh, adore this movie so <laughs> we've discussed this before yeah. uh, but 
No, I mean, I know, David, you were texting me the other day when you were watching it and we're cracking up at just that entire opening scene in the kitchen where Kathleen Turner's like going after the fly and just like, don't say hate and all this stuff. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that it was within that opening, like five, ten minutes, we establish all these characters. We know exactly who they are and it the, who that who they are carries throughout the movie and it everything that happens makes sense and it, yeah it's obviously it's completely absurd that Kathleen Turner is going around murdering people and then spoiler alert gets away with it um, <laughs> but it's it, it, it kind of makes sense in a twisted kind of you know bizarre way it's like yeah she is so nice that you're like well she couldn't possibly do it even though we watch her do it even though yeah even though we watch her do it and we're like oh well she I kind of was rooting for her the whole time because everybody she killed kind of deserved it. And well, beating like, someone to death but, with a, like a lamb was pretty hilarious. Yeah, that's my favorite kill in the movie. But did they actually deserve it, or are we seeing it from her perspective where we're like, "Oh, these are horrible people. They're doing this." You oh, know, yeah. she so, murdered that woman for not rewinding a tape. While I don't condone that, I understand <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, I was going to I was going to leave this till later to propose, but hmm. I'll go ahead and throw it out there now which victim deserved it the most now was it mr stubbins for chewing gum slash being mean to her son carl the wannabe boyfriend who stands misty up ralph and betty sterner for the dental emergency that ruins the bird watching day mrs jensen for not rewinding her videos which yes you're right that is clearly the best kill <laughs> in this movie <laughs> now totally scotty is. Scotty, he's murdered for either or both, not wearing his seatbelt and for being a witness. And then juror number eight, which this is, I think, perhaps my personal favorite, the jury member who wears white shoes after Labor Day. That is that is a punishable offense, I agree. I do love but how she hits her and says, murder. I love how she's like, fashion has changed, and then she hits her with a killing blow and says, no, it has not. <laughs> I fucking love that. No. That's got to be my second favorite yeah, kill. No. Yeah. So who deserves it the most? I mean, they're all preposterous. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But you still, there's still a certain way you sympathize with her because there, she's got certain amount of this charm. I think the teacher is kind of the most justifiable from a parental <laughs> standpoint because this guy's trying to screw up Chip's life, and Chip is just a good kid who loves horror films, right? And and he's fucking with her family. Right. And he's not going to hear anything of it, and he's rude. So, I mean, rudeness alone in a John Waters film is grounds for he's any horrible thing to happen. Yeah. Because yeah. right. there's no reason to be rude to anybody just for the sake of being rude. But this guy is trying to ruin Chip's life. It's very clear that that's what he's setting up. Like, he's trying to get him taken out of school or something along those lines or getting him messed up with a guidance counselor. And as a kid who's been in that situation, that guy deserves to die the most out of anybody as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. David, mm. what would you say? Uh, even though I didn't work with tapes, I would say the, <laughs> the lady who didn't rewind because I can't remember the number of times I would rent a movie and the fucking tape wasn't rewound. And that shit drove me crazy. She's guilty of assholeism, so she has to die. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm I'm totally okay with the death of assholes. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I have to say I don't know Carl, the kind of wannabe boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, that's a, he's yeah. kind. 
I could totally I mean, get behind the family ones. I can get behind that, and I, I can get behind the Mr. Stubbins one, too. That, that That's a good point. But, yeah, Mrs. Jensen for not rewinding her videos. Hands down the best kill, but... But she was also yeah. she was also like a bitch. Like she was she was just a super bitch. Saying so. son of a psycho. I mean, like yeah, you know she she was a she was an old bitch. Fuck her. She deserved. She it. was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> you bring up a good point too. The guy that wasn't really the boyfriend of of Ricky Lake's character, the daughter Misty. He, yeah, yeah, Misty. There we go. I'm sorry that the name was just kind of not with me there for a second. But the guy that was kind of he's essentially using Misty. And I think the first thing that he does that is a killable offense for me, that's why it's justifiable, is when she says, if he says, if I lose 10 pounds, he'll take me here. Yes. And I'm like, I'm like, you fucking jerk. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, there's that. And then, I mean, not that I really give a shit about Franklin Mint, unlike the one woman. <laughs> you know, the fact that maybe he buys the Franklin so Mint for Tracy Lord's character. You know, the one that Mrs. Ackerman wanted. <laughs> I mean, that's though for someone else that, that, I mean, it's inconsequential, but it's still the fact that he's just buying her whatever she wants, you know? Yeah, he's he's throwing around money in the hopes of being able to have sex with her. Exactly. But, but he treats her, he treats uh, Beverly's daughter, Misty, like this quantity that he can kind of control. And she's essentially just his fallback girl. Like if he doesn't right. have anybody else to hang around, he needs to have a girl around to try and prove to everybody that he's straight. So that's what he uses Misty for. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Did I, did I point out the fact that that guy's sexuality was a little ambiguous? <laughs> <laughs> well, he drives like a jerk too. So. Oh yeah, that's a killable offense. Even even her husband could have gotten behind that. I think I think Doctor Suffin would have been fine with the fact that that guy got killed just for being that big of an asshole. Yeah. And I just love. I mean the the Sterners. I mean that whatever. They're just they're just your basic average rude people. I don't think that they're too much. They're too bad, really. Even though it is so vile when they sit down and eat, and <laughs> just because of the sound, oh my goodness! The, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> every that really made me want Cornish hens. That's, I assume that's what it was, but yeah, watching, what, watching them eat that had the exact opposite effect on me. I'm like, that looks really good. I want to eat that. <laughs> it would be fine. I mean, as a meat eater, and I do like Cornish game hen. But it would be fine if it didn't have that sound with it. <laughs> oh, it's, it's purposely in. That... Yeah, it's in there to make you sick. That's what it's there of for. Course, of course. John Waters is great at that. <laughs> yes. No, sounds are a very big part of his, of how he uses, I mean, what he tr does to try to disgust people. <laughs> Which I appreciate. <laughs> We are talking about a man who created a process where you do scratch and sniff to go along with his movies just to trick people into smelling a fart. Yep, that's true. Well, right, exactly. And glue. <laughs> yeah, and glue. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, 
going back like near the beginning of the movie where the um the detectives have come to ask about the obscene phone call. <laughs> oh yes. Okay, the whole situation with the obscene phone call, beginning to end, that goes throughout the movie is just fucking priceless. Yeah, it is. And I love Mink stole her her other end of things uh, <laughs> with it, but the fact that okay, the cops come in and they have this note. You know, I'll get you pussy face or whatever. And they have a little smiley face at the bottom, like cut out of letters from a magazine. And Kathleen Turner, the fact that she's like, I've never said the P word out loud, let alone written it down. And Sam Waterston's response is, <laughs> no woman would. <laughs> and it's so vile and offensive, the thing that's in that letter that they can't even let Chip or Misty Let's read it. See. It's no, adult. yeah, yeah, no. This is this is this is a matter for grown-ups, son. You you need to stay out of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, and then oh, it just oh, it cracks me up. The whole thing with that there, and then when you later see, like the uh, at the. <clears throat> Where you see uh, over at Miss Sacrament's place, which, okay, sh- well, I'm skipping, I'm skipping ahead. The, <laughs> you see after that, after the family is left, you see the fact that um, serial mom, Beverly Sutton, goes upstairs and gets on the phone and starts another obscene phone call. <laughs> <laughs> And Mink stole as Dottie Hinkle on the other end. <laughs> like, just the entire exchange. Cocksucker! Like, <laughs> is this one too fuck you, Lane? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the dialogue in this is some of his best. Absolutely. And the fact that you get these actors that are like, like a Kathleen Turner or a Sam Watterson delivering some of these most ridiculous, outrageous John Waters lines is what makes it so fucking golden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the glee on Kathleen Turner's face is just priceless when she's like, listen to your filthy mouth, you fucking whore. That's <laughs> 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 such a growl behind it. It's hysterical. She's like sitting there like giggling like a little kid. <laughs> like. Yeah, she uses the natural husk to her tone so well in this that, mm-hmm. that right. sort of husky sound that she has right exactly. she, she, on, she only employs it in the certain aspects of when she's like trying to, to bring out the more like psychotic side of Beverly that she's hiding I love that <laughs> yeah 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 that's true I mean she and and you know of course like I said you go 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 back to later with the where Dottie and is over at Rosemary Ackerman's and Beverly shows up and they're the pussy willows and <laughs> and all of a sudden Kathleen Turner's like, Are those pussy willows? You know, <laughs> right, Dottie Angle. <laughs> what did you say? Pussy willow like her voice just drops an octave like automatically. Then they do a callback whenever she's talking about how she knew when uh, <laughs> whenever she knew that uh, it was actually Beverly Sutton that, that has been calling her. 
She's like, well, she yeah. said something to me. And she's like, well, can you tell the female officer? <laughs> I, don't, yeah, I don't think I can say it. Can you think you do you think you could tell the female officer? Yeah. yeah. And then she says and they it. Bring over. Yeah, she says it into the microphone. Like, <laughs> but no, but they bring over like the butchest, most unsympathetic, <laughs> sympathetic policewoman who's there. And, and she just looks like so like has no bone of empathy in her body <laughs> and she just looks so rude and harsh <laughs> and automatically she's like pussy, <laughs> pussy well, right after, <laughs> when she says it too she, she yells it into the microphone and then turns to the cop as she's yelling it and looks the male cop in the face when she says it I so it, it completely negates the fact that there's a female officer there showing precisely. just how ridiculous it is yeah <laughs> precisely yeah yeah. But I mean, it, and the thing is that Mink stole just the way that she loses it like later too because of the whole um the whole obscene phone call thing, you know, going back to like I I don't know. It just she like looks like she's so calm and then she starts just flipping out even the and then then Nevertheless, Beverly is still calm and she'll start, she starts to drop the voice. Like she's going to start throwing out the blinds again. I don't know that, that whole thing is just, yeah, you're right. Some, some great dialogue (laughs) and you could tell they had so much fun making it, you know, doing the scenes. I mean, how many times do you think that they did it without, you know, where they had to stop it for laughter (laughs) because <laughs> it is so ridiculous and over the top. Yeah. Oh, so one thing I was going to point out back to the first whatever obscene phone call where you have Rosemary Ackerman, the nosy neighbor, come in. She puts down her finger across the furniture to check for dust. I know, David. I know, David. You're you're younger, so of course, I don't expect you to remember this. But Court, I, and I, Court, I know you're a little bit younger than me. But do you remember she was in Pledge Furniture Polish commercials in the '80s? No, I don't remember that. So that maybe even in the '90s. <laughs> that is pretty funny that she they would make that reference. A long time. She was for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> it just cracked me up when I realized that. I'm like, oh my god, this is the same actress. <laughs> well, and it also fits for her character because she's such a busybody. She could actually yeah. be using trying to get dirt on literally get dirt on <laughs> on Beverly Suffolk. You know, her house isn't it's it's still there's like an inch of dust on everything. I checked, you know. That seems like the it's kind of person filthy. that she would be. Yeah. Of course. Of course she's that neighbor. Yeah. But the, I was actually uh, kind of sad that she got away with it. She didn't get to. She didn't get killed. She got to live. I know. I kind of <laughs> wanted her to get rid of her too. I mean, she doesn't recycle. What kind of a monster? Well, <laughs> it's the fact that you have Beverly out there with the garbage men. She takes them the little mini bottles bottles of liquor, and they're all out there. And the garbage men are making threats against her. <laughs> I hope someone recycles her. <laughs> like, 
I like how the one guy just flat out goes, somebody ought to just kill her. <laughs> maybe somebody will. For the good of the planet, maybe somebody will. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, wow, I've... <laughs> I've never, uh, I've never been a uh, one to hang out with, you know, garbage men coming to pick up, you know, my trash cans before. I've said hello before, but <laughs> I guess I haven't brought them liquor, so we're not on a first name basis or anything, and they're not going to potentially commit murder for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually something uh, John Waters mentioned this on the commentary. I don't know if it's on the Shout Factory one, but. The original DVD that was like the HBO home video cardboard case DVD that I have on yeah. the commentary on that. John Waters mentions that that's a thing in Baltimore that around like yes. Christmas time or other holidays, you take your your garbage men, you, you leave them little bottles of liquor or you take them out when they're picking up the stuff. If you're there, it's like a tradition thing. And he's like, how offensive is that? They just automatically assume that they're all drinkers. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of people like at the holidays giving money or little gifts or something to their regular like postal servers or you know the garbage men or something. But well, this is like specifically liquor bottles, the little mini liquor bottles. It's something really? that they do at Baltimore. Yeah, that's what at least that's what he said on that commentary, which is really wow. just surreal and bizarre. It's that's it's this out, it's yeah it's this outrageous weird thing that just so happens to be true where he he lives. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, I I don't get that so much anymore. Living in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I wanted to talk about mm -hmm. <laughs> that never ceases to crack me up, and in fact, like I have sometimes have to stop it because I'm laughing so hard, is the sex scene between <laughs> Kathleen Turner and Waters. <laughs> Oh my god. I love when Kathleen Turner's screaming, get it, get it, because that is a motif that has gone through most of John Waters' films, particularly the earlier ones. That's yep. right as a particular character is about to climax, or once the other partner in the the group or whatever's going on to climax, they scream, get it, get it. It's just an <laughs> ongoing thing. And it's 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 just hilarious every time. And then her doing it in her husky serial killer voice because she's going for it. I'm like, yep, there we go. <laughs> and I just I lose it every time. Yeah, I know. That and the kids' faces when they hear their parents. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you see each room. Like, first you see Chip. And then you see Misty. Like, they, by the, you know, whatever. It, there's a shot to each of them in their room separately and they they're hearing their parents have sex like and they're old enough to know what's going on you know and um and then you, you also get the feeling this is the first time that they've actually heard their parents having sex because the dad's so adamant about making sure the kids are asleep and being quiet first right 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 Right. But the louder that Kathleen Turner gets, then the kids come out in the hall, look down the hall at their parents' bedroom, look at each other, and then look back down the hall. Like, it's just a look of horror. It was so funny. Yeah, I love that part. And uh, the... The addition that I have on the special features, they were talking about 
they had, they had interviews with their different cast members and they're um, they're talking to Sam Watterson and he said that every time he watches the movie with his kids they laugh so hard at that scene I'm like oh my god I can't imagine like it is a ridiculous scene but still what <laughs> those kids like are they associating at all I mean like with their own parents like I don't know it's just but I was like that's kind of odd <laughs> like your kids are like thinking that's too, you know yeah yeah that would be that would be awkward to watch a movie where you're having a, little... a sex scene it with your kids that's always going to be awkward right right even if it is one as over the top and as ridiculous as this I think it still would be awkward <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the implication is just icky all around. <laughs> right, right. Right. And, um, oh my God, the Barry Manilow music. <laughs> I love that that's what they equate as her quote unquote normal person music. Right. <laughs> That's the beauty the of it. That's the beauty of it. The fact that the she is... is. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say the terrifying fact is that I know every single word of the song, <laughs> <laughs> and I will start singing along. I cannot help myself. It's it's so wrong. I think the beauty of it is is that she really is the person that she's portraying there. The surface person is totally mm -hmm. her. And the only time that the the only time that this darker personality that is the murderer comes out is when something doesn't fit into this idyllic leave it to beaver mold of life that that Beverly Sutton sees things in or if something is like a transgression past this level of the norm. And the irony of it is her being this horrendous serial killer is the biggest transgression of what is the norm. Yet she somehow this self-imposed enforcer of what is norm, what is right, what is good. And if you don't follow that, you're done. <laughs> it's yeah. so great. It's so brilliant the way that it's written that she becomes this. She is the thing that she hates, yet she doesn't see it in herself. She doesn't see it in her children. She doesn't see it in her husband. She only sees it in everything else in the world around her. She's in this like bubble of denial about what life is supposed to be. And anything that breaks that, that isn't her immediate family, is done. It's over with and dead. Right. Right. And I love <laughs> that in in this is a John Waters world, like, like in his universe, this only this is what totally makes sense. That the porn that's in here is the Betty Pages and Chesty Morgan. I mean <laughs> Scotty is masturbating too. Like <laughs> That's such, it's always the classic burlesque or extreme, you know, sexploitation type uh, figures who are the sex pots. Which, yeah, I mean, they are and were. But I mean, although Chesty Morgan, I'm sorry, that's a little much for me. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan of Double Agent 73? That's okay. I understand. I, I just. A breast that's bigger than my head is just kind of terrifying. Yeah, a little bit. Well, they are deadly weapons. That's why they made a movie about well, it. Title as such. Yes, I know that, but. 
And then I also, then I just start thinking about the back pain. And as someone who has breasts, I just, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, yeah, there is that as well. Uh, the other thing I think is funny too, Chip is not, Chip is a horror fanatic, but he's not obsessed with Freddy Krueger. He's not obsessed with the mainstream horror. He's obsessed with Herschel Gordon-Lewis. He loves Blood Feast. That's like his favorite movie. He's drawing posters of it all the time. Has nothing to do with... And he has straight jacket on at one point. You know, (laughs) Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. I I love that, too, because I wouldn't know anything about Herschel Gordon-Lewis if it weren't for Serial Mom. I specifically (laughs) went out and sought out Blood Feast after watching this movie. And I found a Joe Bob Briggs hosted version of it from his uh-huh. series of sleaziest movies ever made. Shortly after I watched this movie, I rented that VHS. And so I got Herschel Gordon Lewis earlier before I even realized who John Waters was because I was watching Blood Feast at like, I don't know, 12, 13, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I owe John Waters my love of Herschel Gordon Lewis. I'm just going to say it. It's, it's there. It's, he, he exposed me to it. And that's exactly what he wanted to do with the movie. He wanted people right. to watch this extreme, weird sexploitation smut, and he also wanted them to go back and look at the classic gore and the classic horror flicks that are not the, the norm mainstream that everybody usually associates, like Straight Jacket. There's even a macabre poster in his room because he loves William right. Castle. <laughs> right. And he and on the sheets of his bed have like some Bella, uh, I mean, some uh, Boris Karloff movie posters on there. And then he had all the uh, vinyl figures from, oh gosh, who used to make those? I, Migo? Or, no, not Migo. I can't remember the name of the company, but there's a very specific type of vinyl kit model that you would make with all the classic Universal monsters. And they were all there on his shelf. And that's like total horror nut <laughs> from like the. Chip is pretty much John Waters, I think, as far as horror film stuff goes. Yeah. Like this, he just threw everything that he loves about horror into Chip's room. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, and then you get the obligatory uh, L7 poster up on the wall before they actually appear in the the film as camel lips. (laughs) I also got my love of L7 from this film. Oh, really? Number one, I did not not realize those were prosthesis, and I was still into it for the record. Uh, As a as a young man who was just starting to understand the anatomy of females when I saw this film, I really, really, really enjoyed watching their scene. <laughs> I think that was the days where I was already going to their concerts, like in like all female pit mosh pits, you know, moshing topless. Yeah, that was what I was doing at that time. <laughs> Whereas I'm stuck in the mountains in Pennsylvania just praying to be able to bear witness to an all-female topless mosh pit at some point. <laughs> I think I lost my faith in God because those types of prayers never got answered. I, I, that's why. I... <laughs> I don't think it by that point, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, my, they, my... They, never came, like, they never came to Alabama for a concert. Why would they? Yeah. <laughs> My love of L7 can never be understated. I also had a, what, maybe three and a half hour diatribe that I was going to go on about how awesome L7 is, but I pared that down too. I love L7. (laughs) (laughs) I saw this again a couple years ago. 
they're still amazing. <laughs> yeah. oh, I can I can imagine just the stage presence they have on this film when they're just having a good old time. You can tell they're just having a blast, you know. And I'm sure John Waters' only direction is now lift the guitar so we can see the prosthetic. There we go. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And even now that I'm an adult and I know that that's not real, I still go, ah, thank you, John Waters. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a thing now. They actually, they're they're selling stuff like that. So you can have camel lip prints in in pants that that (laughs) women can put into these like yoga pants and stuff to accent those, those parts. So John Waters was way ahead of his time. He was in he was on to something that no one really understood. Or would it be Van Smith, the costume designer? Well, I'm pretty sure it was John Waters' idea. Probably the two of them together. Whoever came up with it in the conjunction, they were ahead of their time on this film. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's and and I love that they did write this song specifically for the movie, the gas chamber song. <laughs> <laughs> apparently, they, apparently they were, you know, John Waters said, we want you to have a song in here called gas chamber. Go. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to have a guy on stage that you, you know, that you, you know, that gets killed at the time. <laughs> That's it. Go. <laughs> he does have credit uh, okay. being a co-writer of the song though. So our lyrics anyway. On the soundtracks, it says co-written by or written yeah. by L Seven and John Waters. So yeah. I wonder if I wonder if he came up with some of the lyrics or something or, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I know. I think Janita Sparks did. She may have started it, and you know, whatever. Then they expanded it together or something. I don't know. Probably came up with the line, "The only way you're going to yeah. shut me up." <laughs> That's probably what yeah. John contributed. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, so the, um, I know one thing that just, another thing that just kind of makes me giggle every time I watch this is the amount of people who end up catching Scotty masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> When he's watching the Chesty Morgan movie, <laughs> it's like, okay, the group of three people, and then, oh, the other two, the cops come busting in. Oh, right. And then, the, you know, it's like, it's just like, as if one's not bad enough, then the other. Watching and then this there are more, a... oh, watching... more cops outside. Like... <laughs> Watching this as a burgeoning teenage boy, realizing exactly what it is that this guy's doing, and then seeing not only the three of the, the Suffin family, both the dad and, and Misty and, <laughs> and his best friend, poor Scotty, gets busted by his best friend Chip, his sister Misty, and their dad. <laughs> and then the cop comes in and pulls a gun on him, and all he has is this little blanket over top of him, and then everybody comes rushing up. I just like seeing that I was horrified, just horrified as a kid. <laughs> now as an adult, I think it's the funniest fucking thing in the world. But like putting myself in that place where I'm like, you know, it's at this point where you're like, maybe I should lock the door every single time. Maybe I should <laughs> shut off the lights. You know, maybe one blanket's not enough. Maybe I need to go hide behind the fucking 
<laughs> maybe I need to go hide behind the the freaking furnace, you know, in the back and just work it like a troll or something so I don't ever get caught. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those things where you're like, this is my nightmare. I don't ever want to have this happen <laughs> when you're a kid. But like when you're an adult, it's like, ah, whatever. It's, you know, you've been caught 70, 80,000 times, you've been thrown in jail for it a few times. You don't even care anymore. <laughs> That's yeah. okay. I, I scared off trick or treaters this year doing it. So uh, <laughs> I think it was a little loud. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I probably would have been the brave trick or treater that would have rang the bell. I would have been like, I'm getting good candy just for somebody to make me go away faster because <laughs> I'm interrupting something. <laughs> I was a very pragmatic kid. I know what's going on in there. Just give me the candy and I'll go away. <laughs> Anywho. <laughs> Suzanne Summers, this is not my good side. <laughs> this is my bad side. Yes, exactly. I love the whole, oh, you need an agent thing about the way it's handled. As soon as, like, do you think I need a lawyer? You need an agent, you know. <laughs> and I realize That's... she's really actually a serial killer. Yeah, it's really a weird turn where the family's mortified and really kind of shocked about it. And then, at least for Misty and Chip, they have this big change where the cult of celebrity that starts surrounding them, they love it. And they're totally fine with becoming known as the daughter and son of a serial killer. And even Chip becomes like this like Hollywood agent-like asshole guy where he's making all this wheeling and dealing to turn it into money. And Well, his girlfriend, Birdie, is sitting there, the one handing out the flyers against the death penalty. <laughs> like the silent <laughs> soldier. <laughs> right. With the yeah. father. Right. You know, good old dad, you know, Dr. Sutphin and... And Birdie are doing all the work while Chip and Misty are wheeling and dealing. And, and Misty's fucking cruising reporters and cops and, you know, gets well, I, gets all in on that, that photographer, right? Yeah, well, I love that, you know, when they the cops meet them outside the house, right, before they go to church, before she's arrested, Misty's like, make them go away. It's embarrassing. And then when the cops are chasing, she's like, now I'll never get a boyfriend, and then before you, next thing you know, she's got their boyfriend, who's a reporter. And it, it's all because of her mom's celebrity. Of the, you know, m her mom being this killer. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, she embraces it. Is it a wise choice to date the daughter of a serial killer who gets away with the murder? Because at that point, you, you start dating her while the trial's happening. I don't think that's a smart idea, because even if she doesn't get away with it, you're in trouble. Like, bad shit's gonna happen, yeah. man. <laughs> Yeah, I I say not a good move, <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> now, it's okay to fall in love with and date and not knowingly be, you know, in love with the daughter or son or whatever of a serial killer. But doing it knowingly, knowingly I think you're asking for trouble, kind of, really. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Oh, okay, call me a prude, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> 
sorry, I don't want to sleep with the child of a serial killer. Jesus. <laughs> Apparently, I'm repressed. <laughs> you are. <laughs> you need to free your mind. <laughs> <laughs> David, did Mm. you have uh, anything in particular you wanted to talk about you found really amusing or or such? Um, Not particularly. Um, I mean, I watched this last night because I started it last week before we did before we had to cancel. Um, I rewatched it last night because I'd be fresh on it. Um, And not particularly. I mean, like you guys have pretty much covered it. It's incredibly funny. Um. I'm probably going to dig around and find some more of his movies. I don't know necessarily if I'm going to watch any of the really, really crazy early stuff, but I don't know. We'll give it a shot. I mean, this was definitely funny. I don't feel bad about spending the 13 bucks or whatever I spent for the HD version. Um, I'll definitely watch this again. I'll probably end up buying the Blu-ray at some point too. Yay. Um, Cause yeah, it's funny as hell. And this is something I could easily see throwing on, you know, every couple of months or whatever or having someone over like hey let's watch Cheryl mom it's hilarious yeah yeah it's a totally fun group watch too like you could you could just sit back and play a drinking game with your friends with it if that's what you're into or just sit around and eventually if you all get into it enough start start throwing out lines two seconds before they happen (laughs) total movie party movie nice yeah yeah, there are just, I mean, I know we've said it multiple times, but it's just, it, and I, it is the John Waters thing of the writing is what's so strong, mm. you know, partly. I mean, there's just so many great lines, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I could probably sit here and just start quoting the movie over and over again, all my favorite, favorite right. stuff, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. I do think the yeah. movie missed an opportunity. Uh, did the movie have... Suzanne Summers actually using a thigh master at any point during the movie. No, I always, I always no. picture that. I always picture that like during the trial, she should be using one because that was like her big thing at that time. Like that was, she was hawking right. those things left and right. And it just would yeah. have been hilarious. <laughs> or somebody asked her to sign it. That would have been great. too. <laughs> <laughs> Will you sign my thigh master, Miss Summers? Yeah, and she had the most stereotypical Hollywood actress outfit on. The, the hat, the sunglasses, the fur coat. <laughs> the t-shirt that says Beverly Hills. Yeah. yeah exactly. I didn't recognize her at first until like they actually pointed out, like, oh, it's Suzanne Summers. I'm like, oh, yeah, so it is Suzanne Summers. <laughs> like, I haven't seen her in so fucking long. that I was like, why? I was like, why does she look familiar? And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, that's why. Oh, shit. It, she's also had like she had like a brief resurgence in the 90s because of the thigh master and that's why people knew her it had nothing to do with the fact that she was acting again or even doing anything worthwhile i, I knew just, her from whatever shitty tv show she was on in the 90s yeah what was that friday night abc uh, i think it might have been step by step Step by step yeah i think so was she the was she the patrick duffy's yeah yes. okay yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Patrick Duffy was her husband in that. Okay, let's not yeah. let's not get possessive, you know, back and <laughs> forth. But <laughs> I, yeah, that movie, that show was terrible. That yeah. TV show was awful. Even as I a kid, I, was, I knew that was shit. It was awful. 
Yeah, like even as a little kid in the '90s when that show was on, I'm like, "Fuck this! This is terrible. Life is not like this. Life sucks." <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. No, but it was perfect to have her in this. Yeah, because absolutely. so so much would have been on a Lifetime movie version of <laughs> our ABC movie of the week <laughs> type. <laughs> type you know serial mom yeah. whatever type mini series that they yeah. were talking about yeah in the 90s they probably would have still had movies of the week because they did have those very exploitative breaking headlines this just happened kind of thing mm-hmm. i i remember one being about a girl who killed a friend of hers while drunk driving and then left her yeah. left the crash and made it look like her friend stole the car or something like that and then got caught later that was still an ABC movie of the week around the time that this got released. And I just remember thinking, these oh are terrible. Why is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there was, there were some good ones, but you had to go back a little bit older, some of the 70s and 80s ones. And some of those that are really, like, so bad that they're good. Um, like, but... <laughs> but but I think by the time that you got to the ones that were in the 90s, it was kind of like had, their heyday had passed. And then that's the, also Lifetime came into being around. Yeah. The well, they started they, they were still making them. It's just that Lifetime bought them up before any of the broadcast TV stations would get them. And they ran them 24 hours straight. Yep. And, and but they were getting the ones with the better actors and better quality actors in them. Yeah. Because they had slightly bigger budgets. <laughs> I'm not going to give Lifetime any credit for anything other than ruining an I... afternoon. <laughs> well, yeah, um, absolutely. But I'm just saying they had the budget to get the bigger names at that point. They were still atrocious. But <laughs> it was, don't it was get like a. Me wrong. Yeah, it was like washed up actor of the week gets put into this film because they need the money for their rehab they're about to go to. Right. Yeah, it was always victim television. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Which is perfect. It's it's exactly what's going on in this film, you know, where they're they're commenting on that hardcore. That's like the beginning of the Lifetime movie hmm. <laughs> with Suzanne Somers because they play it off that that's what this movie is, where Kathleen Turner is pretending to be the real Beverly Sutton who never wanted anything to do with the making of this film. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And I love that John Waters, hold on, let me pull back my notes. The I love that he s- starts out the films with some of the innocent characters' names have been changed in the interest of the larger truth. Uh, that sums up all John Waters. <laughs> <laughs> and the types of movies that he's parodying here. I mean, that's exactly Absolutely. what... Yeah. Absolutely. And when you, you look to the book that we will also be discussing today, mm-hmm. um, you can, it really carries into that as well. It's just kind of his, the philosophy he has about everything. Right. <laughs> his twisted little brain. You know, and I think that is part of why, I mean, yeah, we all, I mean, I think pretty much anyone who's creative, who's written, written something, you know, you have some basis of truth that you've met someone who has at least some sort of characteristic that the character that you're writing about, should, you know, right. that there's some nugget of truth in there. 
you know, even if it's a very small nugget, <laughs> it's, you know, to get that good story, you have to change things. But I don't know. That is pretty much John Waters in a nutshell. And But apparently, as far as the end line of saying that Beverly Seppin wouldn't, you know, cooperate with this, having that line in there, John Waters said a lot of people actually thought this was based on a real murderer in a real case <laughs> like would write him letters like I'm, I'm a true crime fan i've never heard of this case before how do i find out more information about it <laughs> like he's like it's fictional this is just does not exist he said he actually got a lot of people writing to him about that <laughs> Well, he went to so many trials. That was one of the things that he loved to do. He was one of these like guys that would hitchhike his way across the world, or rather, at least America, to be like he was at the Manson family trials at some point as a kid. Yeah. And he would go to ones in New York and like the more famous trials. And he ended up meeting people that that was like their whole obsession was going to these trials. And then they would try and like outdo each other on who went to the more famous trial. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I think there was a story that he told on one of his uh, live, like live spoken word things that he did, or comedy shows, or whatever you want to call it, where he was doing one of those, and they're he's at one of these like real famous trials, and they're talking, and basically they're deciding who gets to go in that day by who's been to the most popular trials already that they get they get a pass to go, and one of the ladies drops Norenberg, like this older lady that's a trial <laughs> junkie. <laughs> And they're all like, yeah, you go ahead, you lady. Want, <laughs> <Yeah. you> want... <laughs> Hands down. Hands down, you won. Yeah, yeah so he, he knows this world. Like, he, he knows these types of people and, and this, this like, how these kind of, how someone could get away with this type of crime, even though it's the most outrageous trials. I mean, that's right. why, that's why the, the trial in this film feels really realistic and ridiculous all at once. And it gets uncomfortable for a couple of moments when you know she's going to get away with it because you're like, yay, she's going to walk. And then you're like, no, she's a horrible murderess. She needs to stay and go to jail. <laughs> right, right. Well, like the fact that the whole thing with Marvin Pickles, which is, okay, that's the perfect John Waters <laughs> character name. He always has great character names. Um, so Marvin Pickle, Pickles up there on the stand and Kathleen Turner like waving her legs open back and forth back and forth and that facial expression and she has like looks so weird while she's doing that motion and he just gets so turned on and you're like wait it's someone up on the stand gets so distracted you know that i don't know it's just something that happened another thing that happens that's so ridiculous and like no how one she, notices that she's that, doing this that she's leaning right. down and flapping her legs like that how does no one notice that? <laughs> Even the judge. Yeah. You know? But, yeah, it's just, uh, he, uh, but apparently John Waters, he said he had, he stopped going to trials because too many people know him at this point. And he yeah, doesn't he, distract from the actual trial. <laughs> well, and one of his fears, too, is that if he's at somebody's trial, he's afraid that when he gets recognized, the person's going to get convicted automatically if he sits on their side <laughs> or something. <laughs> I remember hearing him say that, too. Yeah. And I, I love his argument against the death penalty. He's completely against it because he's afraid he'll get it one day. <laughs> That's it. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's a, the most simple state of it is I don't want the death penalty to exist because I'm afraid I'll be convicted with it someday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's as good a reason as any. <laughs> yeah. Self-preservation. It's a good reason for anything, really. Yeah, absolutely. Right. 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 All right. Um, do we have anything else we want to cover for this one before we uh, switch over to the talk about the book in a short minute? Um. I would recommend this. Yeah. I, mean, I, I figured that was obvious considering the, the high praise we've given it. Yes, well. I will now begin my two and a half hour treatise on why this is a brilliant film and why everyone should watch it. <laughs> Actually, I'm just going to condense it down to this is a brilliant film. Everyone should watch it. Everyone should own it. Uh, forever. It was only available on a budget crap DVD from HBO Video. Yeah, that had the cardboard that. case. And it wasn't until Shout Factory stepped up and released a Blu-ray that we got a really good version of it. And frankly, I'm very pleased that it exists. And there are still copies out there of it, so pick up the Shout Factory one while you still can before their rights languish on this one. Uh, it's a brilliant fucking movie. It's so funny. And it's a great snapshot of the 90s, too. Yeah. Yeah, it does have certain very 90s things in it. Yeah, that's true. Just the wardrobe alone. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Uh, so, yeah, we will be right back to discuss Carsick. Faye Ray. <coughs> Janet Lee. <coughs> Adrian King. <coughs> Heather Langenkamp. <laughs> Amy Steele. <laughs> that weatherman who saw the cockroach. That, oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> and you. Come on. You know you wanna. Let her rip. <laughs> There. Now don't you feel better. You are now officially a Scream Queen. Come play with the rest of us at www.screamqueens.com. That's Queens with a Z. Or you could subscribe to us on iTunes. Either way, it's going to be fucking fabulous. The Scream Queens Horror Podcast. It's where horror gets bent. All right, and we're back, and we're talking about Carsick, which is a book that John Waters wrote, and it's part novella, part... Well, essays. Es yeah, essays and then nonfiction about his trip from Baltimore to San Francisco by hitchhiking. It's like two novellas and then a collection of essays. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the best way to describe it, because it's... Divided into three sections. One, like the worst rides, you know, that can be imagined. I mean, the best rides that can, imag that can be imagined. The worst rides that can be imagined. And then the nonfiction portion, which is real rides that actually occurred on his hitchhiking journey. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I, I have to say, as much as I like nonfiction, I still, with this, I definitely enjoyed his, re, his best and worst rides more than I enjoyed <laughs> his his real rides. Um, but it, it's I did notice that in the real ride section, he re, you know would periodically refer to these other whatever his you know fake ones that he dreamed up. You know, and think, kind of pointing out like, well, this is how I imagined the wor- how the best way it could possibly go, or here's the worst way I imagined it po- could possibly go, but here's how it actually went. Right. You know, I kind of I kind of thought that was a nice touch. It certainly rained on him a lot more than what he was hoping it wouldn't. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like yeah. In his worst rides, he only had to deal with rain and inclement weather for a very small portion at the very beginning. And then it was all just weird, crazy stuff that happened when in reality it rained on him, like the first two and a half days he was trying to hitchhike, which was like the worst. Yeah, that's, that's a rough one. Um, especially, I mean, he started his journey in reality. He started his journey in May. So it's not, but, and I have to say when I was, I had finished by the time I had finished reading this book. That's when I watched Serial Mom again. I mean, I've seen Serial Mom a million times, but th- to rewatch it for this show, I started looking at some of the streets and and different connections and trying to place him out there, <laughs> like it, trying to hitch a ride. Because mm-hmm. um, like, there's that one area where you see in Serial Mom where you see him, like. After when she's chasing Scotty right. on the way to Hamjacks, and they go like, where, and the signs are pointing to downtown Baltimore. You can see some of the major um, streets, or uh, I guess a beginning of an interstate type thing. And so I just kind of started imagining him out there, <laughs> like how preposterous that would kind of look. Particularly with a piece of cardboard that says, "I'm not a psycho." Yeah, well, I I do like the fact that he changed up his signage of this is the this is where I'm going. You know, could have said something, you know, like what you would see in an old time Bugs Bunny cartoon, you know, San Francisco or a bust, Um, (laughs) you know, would be something like that. But so he had his practical signage about what was it? 70 West. Yeah. But to the I am not a psycho. I do love that. Midlife Crisis is pretty good too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had so many di- good different combinations of of things. And I think his, I think his most effective one was to the next motel. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed yeah. seemed to be the one that people picked him up the most from. In reality, right, right. Which and it seemed like they weren't even people who were autom- who were like, Hey, okay. I'm picking you up like as a like sexual pickup. It was more like, Oh, okay. I'm just dropping you down the road. Right. Like a realistic thing. Whereas it could very easily have been interpreted as, or maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, he even says that as he's writing it. Cause he changed it from motel to hotel. I think, didn't he? Yes, he yeah. did. For that very reason, he was like, I don't want it to be specifically about sex, but hey, I need a ride, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, um, 
so I wanted to go to the, I guess, the best ride section first. Okay. Maybe tackle tackle it in three uh, in the sections a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I know I had texted David when I guess it was. It's only it's one of the earlier. Um, best ride stories, but there's. Well, I texted David and I said, "How did I not realize this chapter was going to end in a hand job?" <laughs> <laughs> I think that was me. You messaged me that. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I kind of messaged both of you because yeah. it, was, it was just kind of like, um... <laughs> which was kind of a spoiler alert. Whenever I hit that that particular yeah. one, I knew right away that that's how this one, that, the one that you're talking about, was going to end. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> You're like, how did I not see that coming? Of course, that was what was going to happen. I mean, like, <laughs> quite frankly, I'm surprised that all the good rides didn't end in a hand job. <laughs> well, or a blowjob or something. Yeah. Yeah, sexual favors. That's that's the way all good rides end, right? I mean, that's how it works when you hitchhike. Sure. Well, so I've heard. I've never hitchhiked, so. <laughs> <laughs> Nor have I. <laughs> um, yeah. Because we were, because <laughs> we were, didn't grow up in the seventies, <laughs> the sixties or seventies. <laughs> That's why we didn't hitchhike. <laughs> right, they told us not to get in strangers' cars. Well, right, there's, exactly. There's that, and then there's also hitchhiking in every horror movie always ends badly in everything that I've ever seen. So I'm like, yep, never gonna bum a ride. Yeah, right, right, and I or at least from people you don't know. <laughs> right, and I know too many. I, I mean, I've. Far too much, you know, actual like serial killers and true crime type stuff. <laughs> How cases ended. Yeah, you don't do that. Yeah, that's. Uh... So it's I mean, it is interesting that I mean, this whole entire journey that he proposed, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but what um, David, yes. what was what was your favorite best ride? Um, hmm. I really like the one where he meets Edith. And he, that was like I felt like that was like the nicest one because it was just oh, that's like, my favorite. It was really, too. Yeah, it was like it was just really it's sweet. sweet. Yeah, it's sweet. And like some of them are some of them are just kind of fun and funny. And then a couple of them, like as like they kept going on, like it was starting to get a little self indulgent to the point where I was just like, okay, can you just get on with it, please? Like you're mm-hmm. kind of killing me. And, like, he was repeating bits from fucking This Filthy World. I'm like, okay, it was funny when you said it there. Can you please stop repeating the bit in book form? <laughs> so, like, the Edith story was probably my favorite of those. And, like, I think Gumdrop was kind of fun. But then, like, here and there, some of the good stories kind of teetered off. Because it's just like, this is, this is fine, but you're just... It was just getting to a point where it's like, okay, you're just letting your, your imagination run wild. And it's there's only so much of this, this madness that I'm, I'm going to be able to sit through anymore. Cause it's just, it kept going. Yeah. Those rides started to get a little bit fillerish where it felt like he was just recycling material. Like you said. Yeah. And I recognized it from this filthy world as well. And some of the other stories that he told. And I love the, the one where uh, I think it was Yetta, I think is the name she was going yeah. by. And I, the reason that I loved it so much, and that actually, I'm not ashamed to admit it, actually brought tears to my eyes because he was 
Edith was like a big friend of his. Like he loved Edith and they hung out all the time. She was in a lot of his movies. And when she passed away, he was devastated. So this good ride where he gets one last chance to hang out with her and just be friends again and just get to see how she's doing well and that she's actually okay. I think it was like a wish fulfillment, hopeful thing. And I recognized it right away when she picks him up and starts saying the things that are on the road because that's one of the stories he tells that she does. And like right as she did that where she's like car, pretty lady, truck, car, car in I'm reading that and I also notice that I'm like going, it's Edith. Oh my God. <laughs> In the back of my head. And I was just like, oh, that's, that's so beautiful. And then I'm, you know, all misty eyed reading it the whole time. And I'm just like, oh, John, man, I know that you want this to be real, but it's not going to happen. You're not going to get to see her again. But it's right. this really loving wish fulfillment of a guy who just wants to see his friend one last time, right. you know? And I think that that, that really worked for this idea of, like he's going to write the best possible hitchhiking events. Like, yeah, that, that's, that was great. I really liked that. Yeah, it, it also, uh, it also kind of smooths out for me. The one that I really was kind of like, come on, John, where he meets a drug dealer who gives him $5 million to make his next movie right off the bat. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I know. <laughs> I'm like, okay, dude, that is probably the best possible scenario you will ever get. But that really, would be awesome. Yeah, awesome. I did but... like. I also liked the one with the uh, the one with the books. Thought she was pretty entertaining. Oh, Bernice, yeah. I love that. Well, because it's okay. So it gets the true crime books or whatever, but it's the vintage sex paperbacks, right? Or as he says, the softcore vintage gay stroke books. Right. <laughs> and they have titles of one whole town, like H O L E, and <laughs> and splendor in the ass. I mean, like, <laughs> things he probably owned in his youth. Probably, probably. that's how he knows the title. Owns them. He probably still owns some of that stuff. Oh yeah. Because I I know that there's a certain amount of like vintage lesbian like pulp novels that I have, and some of them have been re released um, in the past even ten years. But you know, I'm sure he's someone who's gone to whatever used bookstore, you know, <laughs> and found stuff from the forties, fifties, whatever. And that were probably 10 cents at the time. And <laughs> I also love the librarian lady because she's with books the way that I am with movies where I'm like, nobody else appreciates this. I must preserve it. I need to at least have this best copy that currently exists mm-hmm. in my yeah. collection regardless of how horrible that copy is if it's the best one that i can find i need to have it because god damn it someone will maybe one day need to know that this film existed and it's my responsibility to protect it mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i just yeah. like the idea of a self-appointed archivist but she's traveling the war like all over the country delivering these books that no one else appreciates or loves except for these niche clients that right collect this stuff that everybody else is just basically wanting to destroy or get rid of mm-hmm. yeah and she's so and she's all about you know like the band books and everything i'm like yeah that's something someone who would exactly be one of my friends mm-hmm. I have she's a like a low rent fahrenheit 451 <laughs> <laughs> character <laughs> I 
I know this one was a little bit later on and it was pretty preposterous at one, you know, to some extent, but the space cadet one where he meets the gay porn star or whatever, Johnny Davenport, and there's the alien abduction. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Magical I asshole. love the whole thing where he he's like, I you have a magic asshole now, John. That whole entire thing where he talks about, like, your asshole's magic. Like, it's just... It's so preposterous. Yeah. But it did. I felt like I was reading a Burroughs novel at that point. Right? <laughs> I know. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's like the preoccupation of the powers of the anus at that point in that story and how he was able to, like, heal. Uh, he <laughs> raised a, a what, something that was roadkill from the dead. And no, then... I, he, uh, the guy, I think, fixed, like, grows part of John's hairline back and then I think he fixes a flat tire yeah later. I thought he resurrected roadkill at some point too didn't they with, Maybe. Connie, with Connie Francis or whatever he pick, he fixes the tire with the magic right. asshole with what's left of his power yeah right, right. right but I love the fact that he's like well I'm not really allowing my at my anus to have mood swings I mean like, <laughs> not, not a phrase you read every day no. and that's part what I love about John Waters, I mean, there's like he has so many phrases that just pop out. Whereas, where the one early on the KK where she's been kidnapped by the anti-abortion guy and she oh, calls right. him Olympian to fascist. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just love that phrase. I was um, like, "How is this a good ride, John?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, in your world, this is a good ride for you." <laughs> <laughs> I was horrified that whole time. I'm like, you're you're like aiding and embedding a kidnapping here. And right. you're you're also letting a, a confessed terrorist go. But uh, we're all good then? Uh, okay. Thanks, yeah. John. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> John Waters world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it and and it did seem to get I, I agree. It did seem get a little bit long at one point mm -hmm. with that, but I feel I I don't know. I almost felt like the worst ride section felt longer. Yeah, he got really self indulgent in that. He really wanted to torture himself in the bad ride <laughs> section. I think the good rides was all wish fulfillment and hopeful thinking and right. some, some very sweet and tender moments right. where it's like what he like where he sees the best in humanity and what he hopes will happen and mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, but the worst rides when he's trying to see the worst in people, it was yeah. like a lot more of rehashing the stuff. I think even than the good rides felt like he was rehashing things that he says mm -hmm. in this filthy world and other talks or in other of his films too. Yeah. Right. Not, in a, not in a bad way. It's almost like when you read in the book, like you're watching a band play their greatest hits live. Right. Yeah. And there was a couple of the bad ones that were that were pretty funny. Um, the one where he gets kidnapped by the the, the true crime to duo. Like, dude, that, you pick my favorite ones each time. Like that that one, I wasn't too. crazy about that one because I was like, eh, I was like, all right, like I get it's supposed to be a bad drive, but I'm like, he's like he pulls this like obscure true crime thing. I'm like, all right. This Are you talking about the Apollo Banishowitz? Yeah, the ones, no, the ones not even the people who have that last name can pronounce that. But yeah, yeah that's what that. Banishowitz. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's my favorite. Bad ride. Bad ride number four is my absolute favorite because it happens to be an obscure true crime case that <laughs> I am obsessed with. Yeah. I'm obsessed uh, <laughs> with that case. And I love that he mentions Kate Millay's The Basement. It is such a good book about. <laughs> yeah. Oh my- well, I didn't love you know. that one particularly, but the one where he shits himself, I thought was hysterical because I'm a child. <laughs> well, no, it's John Waters. Of course, shit is part of a worst ride yeah. section. That that That's one was really it. funny, and then the one where he gets I knew uh, shit was going to be in here somewhere. Yeah, that one was that one was pretty funny. Oh, there's another really funny one that I liked. Oh, the one with um, where he he runs into the, the the cult film director or the, the the killer of cult film directors. I thought it was pretty funny, and then it's like, oh yeah, he's like, oh yeah, this Romero's head. I'm like, oh, and then I think he made reference to somebody else who died recently. I'm like, oh. Toby Hooper was there too. He had he was no, he was looking for Toby Hooper, right, or something uh, like that. The, yeah, the guy. Well, that's no that's Herschel Gordon, right? Yeah, and then Herschel Gordon Lewis is, is like laughing as yeah. he's dying, and he's like, oh. But then, yeah, Herschel yeah. Gordon Lewis was like beaten, like or no, was like fed to like rabid animals or something. It like was that. bleeding out. Yeah, but thought it was hilarious as it's happening. Yeah. yeah. But the thing with Paula uh, Benish, that I'm not even going to say her last name anymore, but Paula right. is the fact of this group of kids. Paula was like one of a group of kids mm-hmm. that tortured and killed Sylvia Likens at her mother's request. Mm-hmm. And it actually became a basis for a movie of oh, yeah. An American Crime and The Girl Next Door. Yeah, I read The Girl Next Door. Which... The uh, an American Crime is actually the more accurate movie. Well, yeah. Um, when when you talk about facts of the actual case, but um, and I'm a sucker for Ellen Page and Catherine Keener anyway. <laughs> but um, I love that in that case, one of the things that was carved into Sylvia Likens' stomach was, "I'm a prostitute and proud of it." Mm-hmm. So in the John Waters world, it becomes, "I'm an asshole and proud of it." <laughs> I mean, like. <laughs> Which is what they they tattoo it instead of carving it, right? With right. a with a roughly made tattoo gun too. I forget what it was like made out of a video game console. I think he said or yeah, something. something like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's just it, it's kind of like, yep, that's the that's the perfect one in the John Waters universe. Perfect thing that could have been tattooed on him by, by some psycho, right? Because know. that's a pun- that's a crime punishable by death for him as being an asshole. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's such a strange thing too because it's his early career is peppered with, you know, kind of piggybacking on some of these true crime things and writing books about it or whatever to kind of keep his celebrity going between films. And I think this is his way of trying to atone for realizing that he may or may not have profiteered off of misery of others. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think that's why? kind of I think that's kind of why I really enjoyed well not really enjoyed, but really kind of this one resonated with me because I realize it's like him kind of coming to terms with, no, I've, I've hurt these people in my own special way. And it's kind of my fault that I did it this way. And I, I regret what I've done. So let me put that into a story form where I'm being punished for it right. and make it a bad ride. And I right. like that. the I love that the bad rides are, <laughs> it's still kind of an egocentric thing because it's people seeking revenge against him for some reason because they know he's out there hitchhiking and they can go get him depending upon where he's at. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I but you know, and, and of course he keeps referencing different characters from films of his, you know, 
I mean, either because either through characters and them saying, oh, uh, you know, the, whatever the character says, such and such and such and such. And he says, oh, it sounds like Don Davenport from, you know, it's 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 he references so much of that, which I mean, how could you not anyway, as an artist reference to I mean, as a writer or a film director, something characters that you've created. Mm -hmm. How could you not reference? Yeah, absolutely. Stuff? Well, there's uh, that, and he's also the king of same of sh uh, shameless self promotion. Like he's so yeah. good at that, mm -hmm. where he'll reference something that he's done. Oh, you haven't seen it? You should go out and buy it. <laughs> you know that kind exactly. of thing. Exactly. Uh, yeah, there is that aspect of it. Sure, sure. But the um, with the real rides, it's interesting. I mean, you know, the fact that. His staff is like researched like the way to track him and all this stuff and and that's something that's even in the the best and worst ride sections is nothing like that's even mentioned. Right. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, he's supposed to be checking in periodically with his office, but there, you know, no, in real life they were actually keeping better track of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were people that actually cared about him more than he even envisioned for himself. And he may not, I mean, at his age when he's writing this, he may not have even known that that technology existed, nor would have voluntarily taken it. I mean, who wants a GPS tracking their every move, even if they are putting themselves in harm's way for a week to 12 days, depending upon how long it actually takes up a hitchhike? Right. right. You know, it's, it's his right. staff that makes him carry it, and he hates it. Like, he's in the real ride section, the time, every time he mentions the GPS, he talks bad about it in some way, shape or form. Like he's angry that it exists. He didn't tell his mother even that he was taking this trip. She just eventually, she somehow found out, you know, while he was out there. And he, I mean, and he purposely didn't tell her because he didn't want her to worry, you know, and by the time he reaches in the real ride section, he, by the time he reaches San Francisco and he makes his phone calls, you know, and talk, he's talking to Mink Stoll and she's just like sobbing and so happy that he made it. Like he doesn't, you know, for him, it's like he didn't think it was that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. But here, no, that really actually kind of is in this day and age. Yeah. Like <laughs> you were <laughs> dangers of hitchhiking or something totally different than they used to be. Right. I, I think it was always dangerous. I think we were just more naive in the 70s as a people that it was going to be okay and everything will be fine. He even well, states it. He, you he have shows also the, the saturation of media now, so you hear about it more. Yeah, even the, if the, the levels horrors. are the same. Right. Right. Yeah. Or less, even. People are basically on a whole murder goes down, and these type of crimes are not as bad as what they were because we have ways of catching the people and they don't get to repeat offend. So the statistics are showing that things are actually getting better and we are, people are actually getting better. Right. But the news cycle has to report that it's so much worse than it actually is to keep us all scared. Because how else would we vote for demagogues if we aren't <laughs> totally terrified all the time? Right. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about the real ride sections is the people that he interacts with. On a whole, he meets really wonderful people that are really sweet and really caring and, and really take care of him and go way out of their way. Yeah. To the point where he feels guilty that they are doing this to help him. Right. And it's mostly people who don't know who he is or don't care. Yeah, which makes it even better. Where there'll right. be somebody like, the, some lady just out of the blue gives him a 20. 
mm-hmm. and refuses to not let him take it because she thinks he may be homeless just because she wants to help him out. Right. You know, and some of the other people that are giving him rides just between the exits or, you know, to the next hotel or whatever, just because he's in a rough spot. The one that shocked me the most was when the cop picked him up. I'm like, no, John, don't do it. It's a trap. <laughs> it's a trap. No, I've seen Rambo. This is not going to end well. <laughs> You know, but then the cop even turns out to be this really great guy who's right. like really nice and well, it's also you know, Ohio for Christ's sake. Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything. There are bad people everywhere, dude. Well, yeah, even Ohio. <laughs> I can tell you, after having lived in Ohio, <laughs> and I worked for the police department in Ohio. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's some not so good cops. <laughs> but, I'm I'm just terrified of anybody in authority on the whole because well, power corrupts too. all the time. You me know? too, but. If I'm hitchhiking anywhere and I get offered a ride from a cop, I'm like, you're going to kill me, aren't you? No. (laughs) You're either going to beat me, sexually assault me, or you're going to kill me. (laughs) One of those are are options here. I think my my two favorite actual real rides, the first one that I really, really loved was when the band picks him up because they kind of recognized him, but they basically got in an argument. There's no way that's John Waters. Right. And then... Then they take him for a ride. And by doing that, just by picking him up because they thought it was him and then giving him a ride, and it turns out that it is him, they end up getting a little boost in their career and they get known really well. And it even it even turns out that like they have a friend send their glasses or send the glasses he left in their van back up to him at the hotel he was staying at. Yeah. I just like the idea because like I've been in that community where it really is like, you know, you just want to help each other out and you know, you're, you're, you're kind of that roadmaster <laughs> weary thing where I got to get to the show, but this guy needs help. So why don't you come along and, and kind of thing. And while I wasn't really a member of a big touring band, I just went, you know, nearby cities and stuff like that. You yeah. do, you do see when bands come through, they help each other out and they find ways of, Oh, you're heading here. We'll take these mm-hmm. CDs and drop them off for me or something, you know. And it really kind of resonated with me. And they all seemed like really kind of pretty cool people that I would want to hang out with. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that, that cracked me up is in the chapter about the coal miner, There, he has a thing about... Usually at home, I meet straight guys who bitch about their spouses and complain about the lack of blowjobs they get. But here is another heterosexual man who does love women and gives his wife great credit for steering him in the right direction. He seems happy. Heterosexuals can feel good about themselves, too. (laughs) And he makes kind of similar comments multiple times in the real section about how huh, it's another married straight guy, and he actually seems to have a happy marriage with his wife. It's hysterical, and he's talking about, huh, I didn't know the ha- that straights could be that happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he kind of has a point. I mean, well, the, on the whole, if we really wanted to make the sanctity of marriage a thing, we should be banning straight divorce, because that's where the sanctity of marriage is really destroyed. You know, so... A lot of the stuff that he's talking about, too, like there was the biker guy who not only credits the fact that his wife made him a better person and that he's nicer now because of her. Yeah. He also he also realizes that some of the racial componentry that he was talking about in that 
he knew it was bad and he kind of retracted and John Waters credits it because of this wife that's probably brought him up out of the muck and being mm-hmm. one of being one of those uncouth horrible beasts now I'm not racist I just know that I was not a very good person before I met my now wife at the time when we met in college she brought me from the brink of being a pretty awful human being to the tolerable lovable asshole I am now <laughs> <laughs> You know, like I credit her for that. So every time that he's talking about how he's so surprised that all of these straight men are so in love with their wives and actually credit them for making them who they are, like that resonated with me and kind of right because tell you what, a lot of my friends who are straight guys that are married, they got some pretty awful things to say about their spouse from time to time. Not going to name any names as long as you keep the payments coming, guys. <laughs> <laughs> It's not wrong. I mean, he's he's kind of got it accurate, but I like the way he portrays it where he's like, oh, so straight people can be happy, too. It's not just our community because yeah. the, the straight community probably thinks the opposite of the gay community. Like, oh, look, they can have loving, happy relationships, too. Yeah, I've, I've had I've had that one flung at me. <laughs> Which, you know, granted, in my less enlightened days, I probably would have been surprised by that myself. But, you know. Love is love. People are people and relationships are a spectrum like everything else. There are going to be people that can have very serious long-term committed relationships regardless of what it is that they love. It happens, you know, <laughs> it's just kind of weird that we put these barriers up with people that are a little bit different than us, regardless of which side of that wall that we're on. And I think it's just kind of human nature. And it's one of the things that he points out pretty well in the book, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that, I mean, the, the, he runs into like, okay, the Corvette kid guy. Right. You know, who is a Republican town councilman, you know, <laughs> from whatever, some small place. And they become such friends that he drives him out of his way to begin with and then meets back up with him. And has, you know, and, and it seems like there's certain things about it that seem like, okay, that wouldn't have gone well at all. But they become great friends. And then this guy, after they've met back up, they drive, you know, a long distance again. He's going back, he's going to San Francisco to meet John Waters at the very end of it all. So they're going to, like, so there's some friendship there, you know, that comes out of this. And it seems like, like on the surface, John Waters is, I mean, we know John Waters is pretty liberal with, you know, his politics and his social, <laughs> um, you know, his social bores. But it doesn't, it, it seems like an unlikely pairing, you know. And there, it, it just, there's so many instances like that where it seems that, okay, this is someone who I shouldn't be getting along with, who shouldn't necessarily be nice to me for whatever pre- condition stereotype but on the contrary here we are yeah it kind of renews your faith in the humanity a little bit to read the the real ride sections where you're like jesus man why can't i interact with people like this more often <laughs> right <laughs> and then you start to look at yourself a little bit or at least i did when i was reading that section and i'm like am i the problem am i the reason why i don't have good interactions with other people maybe i'm the asshole <laughs> Hey, you said it, not me. So. <laughs> what? Totally. You know, 
kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm totally I'm, kidding. You're not an asshole. <laughs> I'm very introspective lately. I've been really kind of soul searching and looking at myself and trying to figure out, you know, where it is, the, where the problem may lie with a lot of things with me. And so far, in nine times out of ten, when I'm holding up that mirror, I'm looking right at it. <laughs> I know what the problem is, and it's me. You know, I, I fully admit that. So uh, maybe I'm not an asshole because you and I get along fine, but. The people yeah. I don't get along with, you know, they're, they're going to, yeah, yeah, you're going to sing a different song if you're talking to my co-host. <laughs> 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 He'll tell you the truth of who I really am whenever the, whenever the chips are down, who court actually can be. We all can, we all can have moments of assholery. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I know I can, I can <laughs> definitely. <laughs> I try to keep it to a bare minimum and I tease, you know, but yeah. so David, did yes. you have any, anything more you wanted to add to the real ride section? Um, no, I was, I, I was pleasantly surprised that the, the band kind of ended up helping him out. Um, and I actually found the Corvette kid thing kind of charming. You know, this, this random, you know, young Republican who ends up becoming friends with this very odd filmmaker as they drive across the country. It was very, it was nice. It was kind of like, it almost felt like bullshit because you're like, okay, this is definitely something he would have made up. But at the same time, it was just odd enough to be like, yeah, yeah, I could believe this. Uh, I think his skepticism the whole time he's talking about the Corvette kid really sells that. Yeah. Because he's like, this can't be real. This kid's probably just screwing with me. Right. But no, they do really develop this really good relationship and become a really good friends yeah. while on the road together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I really like that. Um, yeah, I just like that it was he, you know, the other than the the only real complaint I had about the, the real ride stuff was his constant bitching when he would call the call his, uh, his office and complain about something. It's like, oh god, just stop, just calm down, it's fine. He could have <laughs> left that out to make himself look better, but I no, kind of commend uh, yeah. him for leaving. I him. totally understand yeah. it, but it, like as I was getting through, like towards the end of the book, I'm just like, okay, for the love of God, I get it. You're freaking out. Can we move along, please? <laughs> like, he's clearly scared. living a very comfortable life that he's not used to being oh, like this. I know. Anymore. He's just buying Avion everywhere. I'm just like, oh. First of all, that <laughs> shit's disgusting. And second of all, <laughs> it it's fucking overpriced. What are you doing, John Waters? Yes. It's like you are such a you are such a fussy queen. Okay, that was my other favorite uh bad story was the Milton Queen. That that shit cracked me up. <laughs> the one that was like poisoning people yeah. at random because yeah. he wanted to get rid of straight people yeah. altogether. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. I do have one more real ride as well, actually. Right. Um mm -hmm. there were two of those that I picked out that I really liked. The Renegade Builders. I um, like that too. Oh yeah. I liked those folks because they were actually the kind of people that John would have associated with in his younger days and would have hung out with. And it kind of becomes like this call back to who he used to be before he became overly pampered and super comfortable with life. And he kind of, it, it gives you the idea that he really realizes and kind of wants to convey this to us as well, that 
these folks are just people too. They're they're good-hearted people and they're looking to help them out even though they're kind of in a rough spot and they've lost a house and they're going to go build temporary housing for people who are fracking, which is absolutely horrible yeah. and everything he does not want to do associate with, but they're good people who are just looking to make ends meet for themselves even though they're doing it. And I, I really really like that particularly where they all decide they want to go out to dinner and one of the things that he does where he picks up the checks for a lot of folks and everything and he doesn't ever really seem to look down on anybody regardless of their station in life and he really treats them with respect and as much dignity as he would hope they would treat him or at least he portrays it that way in the book Mm -hmm. if that i i kind of he doesn't really try to make himself look good when he talks about how he was whining to his 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 assistants calling them and stuff and freaking out. So I kind of yeah. believe that I kind of believe he was as honest as possible with how he was treating the real ride people and how he perceived them as well. And that's one of the things that I really draws me to John and his work altogether is that he's just everybody that he presents to you, no matter how odd, no matter how freaky, no matter how weird and left of center that you may actually see some of the characters in his movies they're more than likely based on a real person that he's interacted with, and he doesn't judge any of the people. And to bring it back to the movie, including a serial killer in his film, right? Beverly is never portrayed in Serial Mom as a horrible person. This is just who she is, and she just so happens to have killed a few people. She's and he just misguided. Yeah, right. he doesn't make any judgments on anybody, and I think we could all fucking learn a little bit about who we are as people if we just try to look at that from John Waters' perspective, where it's like, you know, get to know the person a little bit and try and understand where they're coming from. And I know I personally could fucking learn a little bit more like I did from this book like that and from John Waters' movies, you know? Try to not make so many snap judgments about the people around you. And for fuck's sake, stop being such a misanthrope. (laughs) I'm talking to me, particularly. (laughs) (laughs) But like in general, you know, everybody just stop being such a misanthrope and like, Give people the benefit of the doubt, and then when they prove you wrong that they actually aren't good people, you know, when they prove you wrong about that and they turn out to be decent, then, you know, maybe you are the asshole. Again, talking to myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... Yeah. I, I, I would say this is one I would recommend, definitely. Yeah, I would recommend it. Um... I mean, obviously, if I think people just would not appreciate John Waters, I wouldn't even bother. Yeah. But. Yeah, I would almost it, recommend, um, like, I have the audiobook and I've listened to part of it um, a long time ago. And it was good. And it was just, it's fun because he's reading it. So I think that might have made some of the ride, the, some of the, the ones I wasn't crazy about a little bit more interesting if I'd actually listened to him, like, reading them. Um, but yeah, I would de- definitely recommend it. It's a fairly quick read. I mean, it took me a while because. Like there are points where it kind of felt like a slog for me, um, but generally it's it's really well written, and when it's funny, it's fucking hysterical. You know, so yeah, check, yeah, check it out. I'm definitely, I definitely check out some of the other stuff. I, I definitely recommend it as well. And as a matter of fact, I may end up piling it in a car with a bunch of other books that I have and driving it around <laughs> my area and delivering <laughs> books to people in need uh, for, you know, learning some things or two. But it's a really great book. Uh, I had fun reading it. I think I read it over the course of, like, maybe two or three nights, you know, a few hours here and there, 
you know, when I had the time and I'm a functional illiterate. All I really read anymore are like how to manuals and code. Mm-hmm. So th- this is the first like book I've sat down and read like actual book book in, in quite a while. And it went very quick for me. So, you know, I, I think it's a it's a good, quick, fun read. And I think it was like seven or eight bucks for the paperback that I got. So it was really even a decent price, too. Oh, good. Yeah, I got the paperback for a pretty good deal as well. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've read other books of his too, but you're talking and you're talking about the audiobook. I'm not an audiobook person, but if he's reading it, I could actually, I would actually, that seems worth it to me to, to get yeah. something like that. So it seems like that could be fun. Yeah. If John Waters read all audiobooks, I think I would be more into audiobooks. <laughs> well, like, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, that would be pretty entertaining. That Baltimore accent just rocks hearing him talk about things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's it for Carsick, and we'll be right back. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses all things Grindhouse, Exploitation, Drive-In, and B-Movies. Your three hosts, Mike. We're, we're going to discuss the Renee Martinez-directed picture, the $6,000. What? Time, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the name of the Super movie. Super Soul that's, Brother. That's the name. When you that's start the movie. Your DVD cover. When you start the movie, the first thing that that's comes up is the title, and it says $6,000. Mark. And I've been around a girl stroking a horse's dick. Somehow, somewhere down the line, I'm going to use that clip against you. Shh. (laughs) Please do. And listener favorite, Iris. The deployment sock. And I'm like, deployment sock? What the fuck is a deployment sock? He goes, you know know that sock that you just use? Oh, my God. You guys are so gross. (laughs) See, so it happens for real. People do come inside. We'll make you question your political correctness while laughing at theirs. Episodes drop Sunday and can be found by searching for BB and BC Podcast via iTunes, Lipson, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and everywhere else you can download quality podcasts from. You can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at bbnbcpodcast.com. So thank you everyone for joining us. Um, thank you, Court, for coming on. And I apologize for being so fucking like low energy today. <laughs> oh, no, this was so total blast. It was fun to do a recording talking about John Waters. And I just modulated myself up a little bit to cover your lack of enthusiasm, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> who am i kidding so i'm much, always like this i'm usually so much better i'm just yeah i'm just fucking tired today god damn it but next month we will be for our holiday episode we'll be doing uh the hebrew hammer and we're not doing a book because we're taking time off because that fucking january episode is gonna be a fucking monster i haven't even touched yeah. that fucking book yet i mean i've read it like three times already so i don't feel bad but Yes, for uh, for January, we're going to... It's going to be our black metal episode yep. with actually Duncan. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure out how the fuck we're... How to try and structure that discussion, but I... I think you guys should do it all with black metal growls so you all sound <laughs> like pissed off gremlins. <laughs> uh, that would be fun. <laughs> 
Don't give him any ideas. <laughs> I know. Until, there, until you all develop throat notes from all the... <laughs> yeah. Like, it'd be, exactly. it, it would be funny, but it would be a terrible podcast. <laughs> yeah, actually. Exactly. <laughs> it still sound better than all of mine, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of podcasts, would you like to let people know where they can find you? Absolutely. I am also a member and a proud member at that of Legion Podcast. Notice how I slip into radio voice when you ask here. <laughs> you can find us at legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops. You can find us on Facebook. Please join the group. I am in desperate need of constant external validation. I have lower self-worth than a frat girl, you know, sorority house girl with daddy issues. I really constantly need to be told I'm I'm okay, and that people like me, because otherwise I don't know who I am. So reach out to me, listen to my show, give me feedback, tell me you love me, because otherwise I can't love myself. <laughs> You're okay. Uh, we love you. That's oh, thank you. That'll get me through the next 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. So one thing before we go, mm-hmm. are were you finished, Court? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I did my bit. <laughs> okay. um, one thing I did want to mention, we gave our giveaway from last time. Mm-hmm. The winner our book, of our book giveaway, The Gunslinger, was Mr. Darren Wilson. Yep. So that book is on its way to him. Yes. Nice. But, yeah, so we'll be doing another one of those at some point. Yeah, probably. Again, my bookshelf can only handle so much. I mean, I do live in New York City, so (laughs) (laughs) I only have so much room. (laughs) Yeah, I took a bunch to Goodwill a couple weeks ago. Because I was just like, I can't. I don't need all these fucking books, and I'm never going to read them. Also, I don't need fucking three different copies of Clive Barker's Magica in three different formats. It's just a thing I don't need. I apparently, as long as you still have one. I do, yeah. <laughs> I have a hardback somewhere. I have a paperback somewhere. And then for some reason I had the, the single volume paperbacks where it was like book one and book two. I was like, why the fuck do I have these? What? So It's easier to carry around them? I, I, <laughs> That's why I, I bought guess. them that way. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I've logged that hardback around a couple times and I've tried to read that book and I only get about like a quarter in before I'm like, I can't do this. This is too much for me. Super good, though. I read that uh, over the course of two or three weekends, the whole entire book. Wow. Um, back in my teenage days, I was quite the avid reader. And uh, I still, that's probably my favorite Clyde Barker book, is yeah, A Magica. I got to go back and finish that at some point. but It's worth the slog. If you can, if you can force yeah. yourself through the initial building of the world. Oh, I was fine he with really, that. He really pays it off. Like, at the, things go way out of well actually i think my favorite might be the great and secret show and everville combination i also started reading that one and yeah didn't get, i think i got farther into the comic version of that than in the actual novel although the novel was really really good yeah anything clyde barker i'm down so <laughs> yeah me too yep. me too i know i was thinking we might maybe we'll do some clive barker God at one point right we will okay, okay then call yeah. me call me guys <laughs> We gotta start thinking of some more things. I know, right? Fuck. Because we're planned. Yeah, we, we went over our December 
and January shows, January, yeah. the black metal. But we do have something for February. That's all fascists with go figure Darren. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Darren talking fascism with us. Go figure. <laughs> oh, I get it. Fascist February. That's really cute. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, come on. Alliteration. You didn't even think of that. That's yeah, like your you, game right there. It is. What? Oh, thank you. Get together, you. Vanessa. God damn it. I'm too busy trying to plan these episodes. I know. I appreciate you. <laughs> I just got to kick. We got to figure out something, though, for February. We have yeah. April and May already planned, though. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll take a look at the uh, spreadsheet and I'll see if I yes. can plug something in. Okay. Um. Yeah. I got nothing Sick. else for this episode. Um, again, my apologies, everybody. I'm super tired today. So, uh, promise next month, much better, higher energy. <laughs> well, I mean, there's gonna be a quarantine theater in that episode, so that's gonna. I gotta get my, my, I'll be have to be up for that. Yeah, you're gonna have to. Yeah. So, all right. Um. Yeah, I got nothing else. So. Court. If you have anything else you want to say before you say goodnight, do so. And then tell the people goodnight. Are those pussy willows? <laughs> goodnight, everybody. Vanessa? Are those pussy willows? Just <laughs> <laughs> filthy fucking mouth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Is that the cocksucker residence? <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the VD Clinic. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Twitter at VD Clinic Pod or reach us via email at VDClinicPod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group, VD Clinic Podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and more. See it all.